leave out there's just so much to be said but you know God can only give it to us in sound bites and uh, you know a little bit like a, a nutritionist who says look you need to eat this and you need to eat that and when you've eaten that you need to incorporate some of this so God has a plan and uh, you know sometimes the preaching plan is not just random God has a specific plan and then we bring in a guest speaker who has uh, carries something that we want released in the house these people are experts uh, who walk in something that we want to be walking in and, and these people come and their anointing and their impartation will move us to the next level. And it's a little, little bit like in the natural, if you're building a house, you're bringing in a contractor because you want that expertise that that person has. And so it is when we call on guest speakers. You know, we, we, they, they are like, uh, they are just experts that are coming in. They've got an anointing that is not necessarily in the house uh, or an anointing that we need to, to, to move, move us to the next level. So don't be considering these uh, guest speakers and these various seminars and meetings that we're pu putting on as optional things. It's a bit like, you know, your kids when they're growing up, they say, I'll eat, eat, eat this, but I won't that and then they're missing meals altogether and if they do that you know that something is wrong and so let's not be missing any meals that these things that God is dishing up for us the Bible says that God has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies Psalm 23 and you know we need to be partaking you know just day after day week after week let me just say too that in 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 regards to the messages that we minister for the last two weeks I trust that by now the word of God has got a higher esteem a high estimation in your thinking and that you're already more in the word and that you're already speaking the word with greater confidence and if you're not something is wrong if you're not you need to go back to it again and listen to it again because these these messages are all geared to get us to the next level a couple of weeks ago I made an announcement and I said that uh, I'm sensing in the spirit that that uh, God wants us to announce days of breakthrough and days of increase and uh, and and some of you have already had little breakthroughs in different areas and others of you are beginning to experience days of increase let me just say that uh, faith is made for times like this you know everybody can shout hallelujah and praise God when there's money in the bank and there's just everything is just easy and everything just comes in but when there's tough times uh, that's that's what faith is made for for tough times to get us through and to get us over and you know I never forget a statement that Robert Schuler made many years ago he says, when times are tough, the tough get going. Yeah. All right? And you know, if times are tough, well, faith is made for, for days like this. And uh, all the more we have to walk by faith uh, as opposed to walking by sight because sight tells us that things are not so good. But God hasn't changed his mind in regards to his plan and his purpose for our lives. And so praise God. Uh, uh, let's just uh, move on. But I really believe that God wants to lift every single one of us. And God uses the preaching of God's word as one major tool to, to, to bring revelation into our lives so we can grasp some things. And certainly we find out that there's yet another thing that belongs to us. And here is a, an, another, uh, another way or another method another, another uh, uh, piece of instruction to help me to get what I need to get from God and uh, so uh, uh, let me just uh, encourage you in this way that for the next few weeks uh, in fact from here on in full stop don't be missing any any services don't be missing any meetings don't be considering things as optional things oh I will go to this but I won't go to that it's a bit like your kids are saying but I'll eat this but don't make me eat the veggies but you know that the veggies are good for them have you know that you know that spinach is good for your kids and anyway, praise God. Some of you are excited, some of you are not. If you haven't got an outline in your hand, just uh, raise up your hand and, uh, and uh, somebody's going to get you one and we're going to get into the Word right now. And I'm very excited about uh, uh, what I'm sharing on today. And, uh, and in fact, I've just had a wonderful time in God's presence. And I said to Vanessa, I'm, I'm just so excited. My, my whole thing has just been enlarged. Uh, I've got so much in me and, uh, and I've sort of started some things. And some things, you know, it's a bit like you put something in a cooker and then it stirs and then it cooks and then you bring it out and, and some things are just coming out they're freshly baked and all done other things are still cooking and other things I'm just putting things together and uh, and so anyway I'll just uh, let me say again that uh, this morning and typically it's not so much a matter of oh what else shall I say it's how do I fit everything in like there's just so much to be said this morning I would like to speak to you about the covenant that we have with God and the title of today's message is understanding covenant benefits and covenant responsibilities. And uh, uh, with that, I would like to start reading from Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> 
And uh, here in verse 22, it says, For you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. Did you hear the angels sing this morning? All right, if you're, if you're tuned into the realm of the Spirit, we might possibly hear the angels singing as we're worshiping God. It says, You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. The Bible tells us of the Lamb's book of life, that when we're born again, our names are written in that book. And that's very exciting. It says, You've come to God Himself, who is the judge of all things. You've come to the spirits of righteous ones in heaven and have now been made perfect. How do you know that once we're born again, we are made righteous, we're made perfect in God's sight? Though we still see imperfections in our lives, but when God looks upon us, He looks on us through, through, through what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And that's very exciting. It says, you've come to Jesus, who has, who, uh, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Father, we once again want to thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that your word is living, it's powerful, it is sharper than a, than a two-edged sword. And I thank you, Lord God, that you said that the entrance of your word brings light and understanding. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you, we commit this time to you. And we thank you, Lord God, for speaking to us. And we thank you, Lord God, that this morning we're not just receiving information, but we're receiving revelation. This morning we're not just reading from a history book, as it were, but we're reading from the very Word of God, which is filled with solutions and answers to situations that we are facing. And we thank you, Lord God, that, Lord, you said that you are the glory and you are the lifter of our head. We thank you, Lord God, that every one of us are lifted into a, a new realm in God. In Jesus' name, amen. And so understanding covenant benefits and covenant responsibilities. And we need to re recognize and, and remember that there are benefits attached to the, to the covenant that we have in God. There's also responsibilities attached. It's a little bit like an insurance policy that uh, insurance company says, and this is a very crude uh, comparison, but it's, it just helps to get the point across, that when we uh, get in, have an insurance policy, there's benefits that, that the insurance company promises us. And and they say, if you get in, if you sign this contract, if you get in on this deal, we're going to do this and this and this. However, you need to do that and that. And if you don't do that and that, we won't do this and this. And so in terms of the covenant that we have with God, there's a responsibility on us to do certain things. And God has pledged himself that he is going to do certain things in our lives. That's the point of the covenant. From God's perspective, God has entered into covenant with us because God wants to draw us closer to himself. God wants to adopt us into his family. God wants to forgive our sins and God wants to make us righteous. And that can only be done through covenant. All right, Covenant is not just a good idea. It's God's way and God's method to move us from where we are out in the world, sinners on our way to hell, to bring us into God's presence, to cleanse us and to give us all of these wonderful things. God only had good intentions of drawing us into a covenant. Now, from our perspective, to enter into that covenant is to, so we can access the blessings that otherwise we could not access. And so, for example... I couldn't adopt myself into God's family. That had to be done by God. And God would only do that if I get on board with this covenant and I'm adopted into the family of God. I couldn't forgive my own sins. That had to be done by God. And that is only done through the grounds and through the, through the, the whole aspect of covenant. And so it goes on and on. I can't bless myself. I mean, I can, I can, de can declare the blessing of God on my life, but I can only re repeat what God's already said. And I'm only blessed uh, if I'm a part of this covenant uh, that God has established between himself and between people. And so the Bible tells us here in these passages that we've just read here, it tells us here that uh, God has established a new covenant. Everybody say a new covenant. 
All right, so, so if you're holding in our hand a Bible, and typically in very crude forms, it is divided into Old Testament and New Testament, into Old Covenant and into New Covenant. All right, and the Bible tells us here that there is a new covenant or a new testament or a new agreement or a new treaty that God has established between Himself and, and between mankind, and God's done so through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. A covenant only comes into force, uh, into force when, when blood is shed. And in order for blood to be shed, something or somebody had to die. All right, And we know that Jesus died on the cross. He didn't die for his own sins. He died sacrificially. He died for our sins. All right, And this covenant, uh, this new covenant has been ratified through the blood of Jesus Christ. Every covenant has to be ratified. It's a little bit like every contract has to be signed. If the contract is only written up and only promises made, it is not enforced until it is signed. And so a covenant is not enforced until it is ratified through blood. All right. So in, in using today's terminology, we could say that the covenant that we have with God through Jesus Christ has been signed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus had to die on the cross, not just cut his, uh, his palm somewhere. Sometimes covenant making has happened to, to cause a little blood to flow, but he shed it all. All right. And in order to redeem us from, from our sinful lifestyle and to, to, to be able to adopt us into the family, Jesus had to shed it all. Every last drop was poured out of him when he hung on the cross through the wounds that he had in his feet and in his hands and in his side. It all drained out of him. It took the whole lot to pay for the sins of mankind. Now, there's only one way to access this new covenant uh, and its benefits, namely through the new birth. All right, every person who becomes genuinely born again through repentance and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ becomes a part of that new covenant. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 3, he says, you must be born again. Otherwise, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He says, you must be born again. Otherwise, you cannot access or get into this covenant and access all the benefits and all the promises that are a part and parcel of this covenant. Now, here we're reading from Matthew chapter 26, and we typically will go to a passage like this when we're doing communion, when we're sharing the Lord's Supper. But this is the very initiation the very uh, ceremony where Jesus started this new covenant because previously it was the old covenant or the old testament if you like so in Matthew 26 verse 26 it says as they were eating Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it in pieces and he gave it to his disciples saying take this and eat for this is my body and then he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it and he gave it to them and said each of you drink from it for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people it is put out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And so right here, we have the account where Jesus sat down with, his, with the apostles, with the 12 disciples, the original 12, if you like. All right. In Jesus' last supper with his apostles before his death became the covenant ceremony. Everybody say ceremony. All right, typically when a covenant is, is, is cut or a covenant is established, there is a sort of a ceremony which includes various things. And then it is, as it were, launched. And so this became the covenant ceremony where Jesus instituted this new covenant between God and between his people. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that the old covenant was okay, but there were limitations to it. The old covenant and the blood that was shed in the Old Testament from, from bulls, goats, uh, lambs, and various other things could not do away with the sins of the people. It only covered them for yet another year. And then the Bible tells us that year after year, the high priest had to go into the temple or into the tabernacle of Moses, into this place where God lived, called the Holy of Holies, and offered for blood yet once again and every year yet once again and then as it were that's how atonement was uh, uh, was received atonement is is a, an old testament word in the, and it means in so many words a covering of the sins of the people so the people wouldn't god wouldn't look at those sins anymore they were covered however they were not washed away only the new testament only the blood of jesus christ was able to cleanse us from our sins not just cover them but wash them away now don't be thinking 
thinking about these things in natural terms because it defies uh, natural thinking when you think that you can put blood on something and wash something away with blood, all right? We're not talking natural things. We're talking spiritual things, all right? To be cleansed spiritually. And, uh, and so... Each time when we partake of the Lord's Supper, also called communion or the Lord's table is another word for it, we do so in remembrance of Jesus, reminding ourselves of his sacrificial death, of his resurrection, and of the covenant that we have with God. All right, that's what we do. Uh, and, and last week we had communion here. We typically take, you know, the, the bread and the cup and everything. And this is, if you like, uh, the Lord's table. Jesus says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And when we do so, we are declaring the Lord's death. But not only do we declare his death, but we also declare his resurrection. Have you know that Jesus is no longer on the cross? That's why crucifixes are, uh, if you like, an unscriptural deal, because Jesus is no longer up there. He was up there, all right, but he was taken down. His body was buried. The Bible says that Jesus went into the inner parts, into, into hell, and on the third day, he, third day he rose again. And then the Bible tells us that he appeared to his disciples over a period of some 40 days. And then after that period, after he had commissioned them to, do, to, to, you know, to preach the gospel and to build the church and to extend the kingdom of God, the Bible says he was received up out of their sight and he went out, up into heaven. And the Bible tells us now that right now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and is waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. And the Bible also says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus hadn't gone on a, on a holiday uh, to heaven. He's praying, he's interceding for you and he's interceding for me that we're connecting up with the plan of God and once we're connected up to move us to the next level and that's why revelation knowledge causes a breakthrough to happen in our lives. That's why the preaching of the word is so important because it knocks out it knocks away those hindrances and those strongholds and those limitations that we have in our minds uh, many times. Uh, have you know that many people are not bound, not bound up in, 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 in physical prisons, not there are people in physical prisons, but many people have got prisons on the inside of them, their own limitations, mindsets, and, and strongholds and everything that are just hindering people. Oh, I couldn't do that because of this, this, and this. But God says you can do it. And oh, I, I can't be rich because of this, this, and this. God says you can be rich. God says you can prosper. God says if you do this and this and this, I'm going to elevate you and I'm going to cause you to prosper, not just financially, but in other areas of your life. And so we remind ourselves of Jesus' death, his resurrection. We remind ourselves of this covenant that we have with God. Communion is a covenant meal. And many Christians haven't got the foggiest about covenant. Uh, and, 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 and yet it, it's, it's, it's the basis of how God deals with us. And it is the basis of how we can approach God. The Bible says that now we can, we can come boldly into the presence of God. We can come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy. See, how can, how can we can do so? Because we have a covenant with God. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to, to ratify this, this covenant and to ratify this new, this new deal that now God deals with people differently as he did in the Old Testament. It's the same God, but it's a different agreement now. All right? It's a, it's, it's a, the Bible tells us that we have a better covenant established on better promises. All right, And so that tells me that whatever was promised in the Old Testament, it's got to be a part of the New Testament and more. Otherwise, God couldn't call it a better covenant established on better promises. And, and, and so we've got this whole deal here where each time when we partake of the Lord's Supper, uh, that we remind ourselves of what belongs to us. And not only do we do that, we remind ourselves that we belong to God. The Bible says we've been bought with a price. There's a bit more to it than just, you know, you know, that's like because Jesus bought us. We, we now belong to God. When God entered into covenant with the old te with, the, with the people in the Old Testament there, specifically the Jewish people, the covenant, uh, the testament, you know, the law of Moses and the covenant that was made in the wilderness, that was God buying these people to redeem the people. And, and as a possession unto himself. All right? And we have been redeemed and we have now been adopted into the family of God. This is if you're born again. 
and when you become born again, you suddenly become a part of this covenant that was established 2,000 years ago. And again, you know, in the natural, sometimes we, we, we struggle, but, but, the, but the Bible, you know, timelines sometimes inter interweave, and, and something that happened back then, um, uh, as it were, uh, you know, uh, happens, or should I say, is important to us today, and what, what is important to us today had a beginning way back then, so we need to understand what God's done for us on the cross. See, this new covenant came into force the day that Jesus died on the cross. I, I'm going somewhere, folks, all right? So it's important that you stay connected. We're just laying a foundation because we're going somewhere, all right? So in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, it says, This is why Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the eternal inheritance promised them since a death has occurred that redeems them from offenses committed under the first covenant. All right, and so uh, sins... Ten Commandments, breaking the Ten Commandments, uh, that whole deal. Well, now we can receive forgiveness of sins under the New Covenant, sins that would have been committed under the Old Covenant, if you like. Even if we were not Jewish people and not under that Old Covenant, th 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 that still applies. There is still a law of God. God's given laws, and they must not be broken. And if they're broken, we require forgiveness of sins. And that's what the New Covenant is all about. All right, it says, verse 16, For where there is a will, the death of one who has made it must be established. Uh, so in other words, when there is a will, when typically, you know, people write up a will, and at some point when they leave this earth, the will comes into force, into force the moment they die. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the Bible, in another translation there, it says, For where there is a will, there must be a testator. A testator is one who has written up a legally binding will, and when they leave this earth, suddenly this will kicks in. And some of you, you would have your, your will all sorted out, uh, and some of you haven't. But regardless, you know, somebody's going to get the stuff that you leave behind. How do you know that? And so it's a good idea to leave a will and, and everything, because things don't just always go smoothly when people move on. And uh, Anyway, that's another subject entirely. But it says, for a, a will, verse 17, is in force only when somebody has died, since it never takes effect as long as the one who has made it is alive. So in other words, for those of you that have a will, you've got a copy with the lawyer, you've got a copy sitting in your, in your drawer at home somewhere. It is not in force right now. I mean, it's there, but it's not in force. And it will not be in force until you leave this earth. And so it is with this will, with this covenant that Jesus established. He had to die in order for it to come into force. So once again, there is a mediator. The Bible tells us that, that there's a, only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. The one who is both God and both man. The one who understands the God side and the requirements that God places on us. To, a perfect God to get into a perfect heaven. And the one who understands the human side. That the Bible tells us that Jesus was tested and tempted in all points as we are, though he did not sin. All right? And because he was a perfectly, a perfect sacrifice, he died on the cross and he now stands between God and man. He's the mediator. The word mediator is like, uh, it speaks of something in the middle. Um, he's the go-between. He's between God and man. All right? And so the one who mediates between two parties to produce peace. The Bible tells us that our sins have severed or separated us from God. And as it were, started, started a, a situation that demanded judgment. But the Bible also tells us that Jesus took judgment upon himself so that he could stand between God and, and has now brokered a peace deal, a peace treaty that we can now go to, to heaven. Though we look at ourselves and, and we are not perfect, but Jesus is not. You have not committed perf perfectness, but I have made you perfect. He, God says, you have not committed righteousness. I have made you righteous. And through the terms of the covenant, God says, that'll do. And we, we go to heaven. All right. And so 
There is a testator. A testator is one who made a legally binding or a legally valid will before death. And that's what Jesus has done. He did so right in the first, uh, you know, in the, this passage that we read there in Matthew's gospel, where Jesus sat down with his disciples and he made a legally binding will. And, and he says, uh, and he says, and of course he told them that he was about to be crucified. He was about to go and to die. And they did not understand. All right. And then there, typically with the will, there's also an executor. Everybody say executor. Not an executor, but an executor. There's a difference between the two. All right. The executor is one who is appointed by the testator to execute the testator's will. So meaning that when a person dies, they typically appoint somebody who looks after the affairs and looks after the dis distribution of uh, the, the, the person's uh, uh, belongings and, and all of their estate and everything. And you see, the amazing thing is, in fact, let me read the next passage here. It says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, it says that when, when Jesus was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God declared him to be a high priest in the priestly role or in the priestly order of Melchizedek. And basically what that's telling us is that Jesus did not only die in order to bring that covenant or that testament or that agreement or that treaty into force, but he also rose again and he's overseeing to make sure that each party gets what, what, what was promised in this deal. All right. See, see, God, 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 so that God gets the people when we are purchased, when we are redeemed, that we don't just live for ourselves, but we live for God. All right. Not only that, but we get everything that God has promised us. And Jesus died to ratify the covenant. And then he rose again to oversee this whole deal uh, and make sure that everybody gets what is promised in this agreement. Now, right here, it tells us that God declared Jesus to be high priest in the priestly order of Melchizedek. Now, Hebrews is actually quite a book in the Bible. It's very important. Uh, uh, many people struggle with aspects of uh, Hebrews because they don't understand Old Testament language. They don't understand Old Testament dealings and everything. And so uh, the book of Hebrews presupposes that we understand or that we have some understanding of the Old Testament. And so uh, right here, the Bible tells us that, that Jesus became the high priest. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a high priest. Aaron was the first high priest, and then Aaron's sons became high priests, and when they died, other people became high priests. And, you know, they served for a period, and then they were replaced by somebody else. Now, Jesus is now a high priest forever. He's never going to be replaced. He doesn't need to be replaced. The reason why Old Testament high priests had to be replaced is because they kept on dying off. All right, and, and so they had to appoint a new one when Jesus is not about to die. He rose again to live forever. And so he's a high priest forever. Now, we need to understand the high priestly role and what their job was and what their task was so we can understand the significance of Jesus Christ being our high priest. The high priestly role was the mediator or, was, was to, or he was the mediator between God and the people. All right, in the Old Testament, it was only the high priest that was allowed to go into the presence of God, and he was not allowed to come without blood. And he had to come right, and everything had to be just right, the way that he was dressed, and everything had to be right. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is our high priest, and he went not into the earthly tabernacle or the earthly temple, but he went into the heavenly temple. The earthly temple is only a copy of the heavenly things, and he went into the heavenly tabernacle, and he didn't bring blood of bulls and of goats and of lambs, but he brought his own blood, and he put it and he sprinkled it on there, and he achieved forgiveness of sins for you and for me. All right. And so that's the job of the high priest to mediate between God and the people. And, and that will unfold a bit more as we go along. I told you we're going somewhere. All right. The high priest went into God's presence to offer sacrifices. And then the high priest will come from God's presence to bless the people. Now, this is huge. This is absolutely huge. The, 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 the people brought the sacrifices and laid them at the feet of of the priests and the priests would take it and many times you know the priests and then the high priest would then offer these sacrifices and when he was done he would come away and come out from the presence of God and bless the people 
And you know, they were instructed to raise up their hands over the people and to speak the blessing of God over the people. That was their job. That was the whole point about the sacrifices, for people to bring the sacrifices so that they could be blessed, so they could be released from their sins, they could be released from the guilt and from the bondages and from various other things, you see. And... uh, In fact, in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22, it specifically tells us that when Aaron had finished all the sacrifices, he raised his hands over the people and he blessed them and then he stepped down. All right? This is like absolutely huge. We need to understand. We don't need to know everything about the Old Testament, but we need to understand what the high priestly job was so we know and understand what Jesus Christ is doing today. Because you see, the priesthood as a whole has not been done away with. All right, it's still there. But the Old Testament priesthood has been superseded. The Bible tells us that we are now priests, but we have a high priest. So we're all priests, but we have a high priest. And the high priest is the one that entered and offered the sacrifices and everything else. And then he blessed the people. And in fact, in Numbers chapter 6, and I wish we had more time, God specifically instructed them what they had to say. He says, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord may, his, may the Lord shine his, his, his face or His countenance upon you and keep you. And God says, and this is how you shall place my name on the people. That's powerful. To, to put my name on the people. That's what God said. Now think about that. How can he put somebody's name on somebody else? All right. But friends, we are not here in our own name. We're not forgiven in our own name. We're forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. We are not healed in our own name. We are healed in the name of Jesus Christ. We're not prospering in our own name. We're prospering in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, and so God specifically instructed the priests how to do that. Now, now here's, a, here's an important thought, uh, and, and it's a more, more than a thought, it's a truth. Jesus Christ, our high priest, is a high priest after the priestly order of Melchizedek. Now, we'll just uncover that, unpack that in just a moment, but... Uh, the principle remains the same, that the high priest went into the presence of God, offered sacrifices that the people had brought, and then came out to bless the people. Now, the Bible speaks, of course, of Aaron, who was the first high priest, and before he talked about that, and subsequent sons and generations became high priests, to the day when the high priest, when Jesus was captured uh, and, and brought before the high priest on that day. And you can read about it in the Gospels. And when Jesus uh, spoke to them, and in fact, he, he remained silent and everything. And then he said to them, he talked to them about the fact that he was actually, that he was actually God. And he says, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And he pointed out that he's been around much longer than his, his birth. He said, Jesus, uh, the God aspect of Jesus has always been there. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus was born, it's now the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And did I get that right the first time? <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure that I'm going in the right direction here. And uh, so this whole deal, when, when the high priest was there, he got so mad at what Jesus said. And he, the Bible says he tore his clothes. And, and that was a typical sort of a cultural deal that amongst Jewish people, they got really upset or something or really frustrated or really angry. They would grab themselves and tear their clothes. Now, that would get a bit expensive if you did that each time you get, uh, you get annoyed or frustrated. Now, here's the deal. God told Moses in the Old Testament to instruct the high priest, that's Aaron, and all of his sons that were to become high priest. He says, don't mourn for the dead. He says, and do not rip, tear your clothes. He says, otherwise you will die, or otherwise something, something bad is going to happen to you. Now, the deal is that when this high priest, when they stood in judgment over Jesus, when he tore his clothes, he disqualified himself to remain high priest. And the, the priesthood, uh, as it were, moved from this man and, and he was replaced by Jesus Christ, who is now the high priest forever, never to be replaced by anybody else. All right? And so we're still going somewhere. All right? So the Bible tells us, though, that Jesus Christ is not a high priest after the Levitical order or after the Aaronic order. You know, Aaron was the first high priest, but the Bible tells us that Jesus is a high priest 
after the order of Melchizedek. Now let's read about Melchizedek, otherwise we won't know what that means. And so in Genesis 14, verse 14, when Abraham heard that his relative had been captured, he called out his 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Let me just give you a little background understanding here. The Bible tells us that Abraham and Lot separated. Uh, Lot took to, uh, went down to the plains. He ended up going down to Sodom and to Gomorrah. And li he lived down there, which is all a, a type of the world. But the Bible tells us that Abraham took the hill country and he went up there because, uh, in other words, they separated. Well, there was some battles going on between various kings and kingdoms and different places. And uh, Sodom was attacked by a bunch of kings and they took away a lot of stuff and took away Lot and his family and a lot of people took them captive and went away now when Abraham found out that his, his cousin or actually his nephew was captured he armed the men that were born in his house and went after these kings and went after these people and it says and during the night Abraham divided his men to attack them and he routed them pursuing them as far as Hobah north of Damascus he recovered all the goods and he brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. After Abraham returned from defeating this king and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom, uh, of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Zalem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abraham gave him a tithe of everything, or a tithe of all, or a tenth of everything. Now, a tenth, uh, a tithe is the tenth, and a tenth is 10% 10 of, of, uh, of somebody's stuff or 10% of somebody's income, 10% of somebody's increase. Now, uh, this is actually, it is amazing that the Bible tells us that Jesus became a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and Melchizedek is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament, only twice. In this instance here, and over in the book of Psalms, when there is a prophecy going forth saying that Jesus was going to become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Not after Aaron, not after the Levites, but after Melchizedek. All right. And, uh, and so Melchizedek is a, somewhat of a mysterious character. Uh, the Bible tells us that there was no record of his birth. Yet amongst the Levites, they had to prove their genealogy. They had to prove that they were part of the Levitical tribe and that they were part of the, part of the uh, Aaronic uh, descendancy in order to be able to access the priesthood. This guy here is a priest of a different type, of a different kind. This is a different order of priesthood. This man, there is no, there's no genealogy. There's no mention of his father or mother. That's not to say he didn't have any father or mother but it simply says that, that there's no mention there's no mention of his death you see in the Old Testament the priests were they entered priesthood at age 30 and then when they were 50 years they had to slide out again so they only served for 20 years and so, at some stage during that uh, deal some of them might have had the opportunity to be appointed to be the high priest to replace the previous one and so, so how, that's how they cycle back and forth but Melchizedek the Bible speaks of no beginning and of no end which is, if you like, a, a, a picture of Jesus Christ. With Jesus Christ, there's no beginning and there is no end. All right. Now, Melchizedek is a type of Christ. Um, the Old Testament speaks about types and shadows, foreshadowing different things. Shadows are copies of that was going to be realized and where the real deal was going to happen later on. Every lamb that was killed in the Old Testament, which, which was going to be an offering for sin offering, peace offering, all of these things were types and shadows of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So we got types, we got shadows, and then we got the real deal. Melchizedek was a type, or if you like, a shadow of the real uh, high priest Jesus Christ coming along in Hebrews Melchizedek is called the king of righteousness and the king of peace and how do you know that ultimately there's only one king of righteousness now there's only one king of peace all right and this man was a king priest who ministered hundreds of years before the law of Moses and the Levitical priesthood were established 
Aaron was only a priest. He wasn't the king. But this man was both a king as well as a priest. He was the king of Salem. He was the king of Jerusalem, of the place that later on was renamed Jerusalem. So this guy's a king. He's a ruler, but he's also a priest. And in the Old Testament, you know, they weren't allowed to muddle those two offices together. There was only one character that got close to it, and his name was David. He was a special character. And he, he managed to get some things done in the temple by God, somehow overriding some of the, the laws that he had put into place for these other guys. Remember how, how Saul, the king, tried to offer sacrifices, tried to slip into the priestly office, and God says, don't you do that. All right? The two offices were separate. Well, now in Melchizedek, the two offices are, uh, are side by side in one person. Jesus Christ is both king as well as priest. All right? And uh, so Melchizedek's name is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament, and we've already said that. Once in Genesis, in the passage that we've just read, and once in Psalms concerning Christ's priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Now, here's the point, and that's what we're leading up to. That this passage here, where Melchizedek is mentioned for the first time, this passage here is the first time that the word tithe is mentioned in the Bible. Is that important? It is hugely important. Because Melchizedek lived hundreds of years before uh, the Lev Levitical priesthood were established, was established, hundreds of years before the law of Moses was given, hundreds of years before this, this Old Testament deal that was established. You know, sometimes people are a little bit uh, confused about, you know, we use crude terms such as Old Testament and New Testament, but uh, people say, oh, I'm not under the law, therefore I don't tithe. Listen, tithing is, is, is not an Old Testament deal in the sense that it is, it is uh, only specific to to the law of Moses and to the Levitical priesthood. It is much bigger than that. It started before that, and it is an eternal principle. Sometimes, you see, we need to recognize and remember that uh, when the, old te you know, the law of Moses went out, tithing doesn't go out because it never started there. It started hundreds of years prior to that with a man whose name is Abraham and, and uh, Melchizedek. And now we have the sons of Abraham, which is you and I. The Bible tells us that we are the seed or the descendants of Abraham. And we've got a high priest called, called Jesus Christ, who is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Can you see the importance there? Can you see the correlation between the two? Now you must, well, I'm not sure if that tithe thing is all that important. Listen, the meeting between Abraham and Melchizedek was very short. Very short. Abraham came back from the slaughter of the kings. He had a victory. He recognized that God was the one that blessed him, even though he was out there physically on the ground to fight and to battle, but God given him the victory. And we need to recognize that each time we go out into the world, we go out into the marketplace to do a job, to run a business, and to earn an income, we're on the ground and we're, do, we're like wielding that sword and we're fighting. But God is the one that blesses us and God is the one that brings increase into our lives. All right? And so, so there is this deal here where, where this meeting between Melchizedek and Abraham was really short. Abraham came, he had all of this stuff, and I suppose he left, he left uh, all of the people that he captured there, and he came to Melchizedek who came out to serve bread and wine. Uh, bread and wine is uh, the emblems of communion. So these guys are having communion with one another. These guys are entering into a covenant with one another. There's a covenant meal. You know, in the Middle East... There's a funny deal going on that we do not understand as Westerners. Once you eat with somebody, you are in covenant with that person. And if somebody else tried to come in and harm you, your very host will defend you to the death. If, and, and they understand covenant over there. And, and you know, sometimes Westerners just are, are just non-covenant people. Uh, in fact, characterized by breaking covenant because Westerners do not understand covenant. All right, but in amongst covenant keeping and making people, this deal is very, is very, very important. Now, bread and wine was served, and then the Bible tells us that Abraham brought a tenth of the spoil, the very first 
and the very best. In other words, he paid a tithe to Melchizedek. Abraham recognized that though he was important in the overall scheme of things and in the economy of God, here is somebody more important than himself, and his name is Melchizedek. And without being asked for it, he brings a portion of his income. He brings a portion of his spoil. You see, it was customary in those days when they went out to fight, they just took, that was just how it worked. All right, and he brought all of this stuff and then he took 10% the very best of what he was able to find and he laid it at the feet of Melchizedek the priest of the most high God and then Abraham or should I say Melchizedek turned around and he blessed Abraham or Abraham as he was called back then and he put God's name on Abraham and then the meeting was over and Abraham went home again, and the, the you know, king of Salem went back to Jerusalem to carry on his, his job, and no doubt his priesthood and everything. A very short meeting. Sometimes people say, oh, I'm not sure if it's so important to get down into the church on Sunday in the morning, you know, I don't know, there's a preacher there, I don't really want to hear him, and, and now they're talking about stuff that I already know, so I'm not going to be down there. Friend, this meeting between these two guys there was very short, and it was to effect one exchange. There was no preaching that took place. There was no praise and worship that took place. All they did was share communion and then to exchange something. Abraham brought his tithe. Melchizedek received it and carried it away. And Melchizedek in turn blessed Abraham who received it and carried the blessing away. Very powerful. I mean very, very powerful. This meeting was short, it was sweet, and it seemed to be for only for one purpose, to effect an exchange. Friends, each time we come into the house of God, and how do you know that the, that the tithe comes into the house of God? It comes into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It does not come into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ any old where, but it comes where we receive our bread and our wine, where we receive our spiritual sustenance. And we ought not to be connected to 15 churches to receive spiritual sustenance. One church is enough. The Bible says we are planted in one house and we flourish in one house. The Bible speaks of one pastor, not 15 pastors. The Bible speaks of one shepherd who gives food and spiritual food and everything. Have you know what I'm talking about? And each time we bring the tithe and we, as it were, lay it down and we worship God with it, there is an exchange that happens. The tithe goes, in, goes into God's presence, as it were. And have you know we don't give the tithe to men, we give it to God. All right, people, people that say there's no way I'm going to give my hard-earned money to, to some of these people that, that this, that, or the other. People don't understand. Tithing is a spiritual practice. Though it involves funds and though it involves finances, there is a spiritual transaction that takes place. All right, we bring our tithe and we carry away the blessing of God. And with the blessing of God, we produce more increase and we come and we bring our tithe and we get the blessing of God. So this still goes around and around and around and it carries on and it carries on and it carries on. A very powerful effect, uh, or should I say a very powerful exchange takes place week after week. And you know, these days, uh, these days, we can actually send our tithe ahead. It's amazing how, how that works, but uh, you know, we do so electronically. We press the click of the mouse and away she goes. And here's the tithe, but it is still necessary and important to appear in person and to worship God. All right, so that we're not saying, oh, well, I'm, you know, my tithe is already in there. That's all I need to do. No, we, we come in person, and the method of how we bring our tithe has nothing to do with anything. But, you know, we appear before the Lord and we worship God. And sometimes we might even say, well, well, that wasn't very exciting today. Uh, I didn't get this, or I didn't hear that, or there wasn't much of this or much of that. Friend, if we shared, did nothing but share communion and bring our tithe and receive the blessing and go home again, it's very powerful. But people don't understand. People don't understand covenant. People don't understand covenant uh, benefits. And people don't understand covenant responsibilities. That's why we are preaching about it. And this very truth that I'm sharing to you, with you could become the very breakthrough for those of you that are tithers to do so more meaningful and to do so more purposeful and to do so more with a sense of saying, as soon as I come in the door and I've worshipped God, when I go out, 
I got God's name placed upon me. I am blessed and I'm going out to do battle. And I'm going out to, to get more victories and everything else and to produce increase. Remember, as I said before, we access the covenant from the hum human perspective to get things that otherwise we cannot get. Uh, and whatever that may be, uh, we can't forgive ourselves. Um, we cannot adopt ourselves into God's family. We cannot die for our own sins. Jesus had to die for our sins. He's the one that needs to bless us. God is the one that adopts us into his family. And God is the one that blesses us so that increase and, uh, and, uh, and victory can happen. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 9. It says, a person might even say that Levi, the father of the priestly tribe himself, who received tithes, or the tenth, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his forefather Abraham when Melchizedek met uh, Abraham. Now there's a deal there that we can't just analyze with natural understanding. It requires spiritual understanding. How could Levi, who wasn't even born at that time, who was going to be born hundreds of years later, how could he be paying a tithe through Abraham and, and to present the tithe to the Lord? See, Levi received tithes. The Levitical priesthood were the ones that received the tithe from the other 11 tribes. Uh, but the Bible tells us here that in a figure or in a sense, Levi, who lived much later, who received the tithe, he actually paid tithes to Melchizedek uh, because he was in the loins of Abraham. So if we understand... Uh, you know, the headship of a family and, and hereditary and legacy, we can, we can understand how the writer of Hebrews is putting that argument forward. And so even the Levites uh, paid tithes in Christ. Why? Because the Levitical priesthood was a lower level priesthood than the Melchizedek order of priesthood. Now, I've got a series of uh, sentences there that are all thoughts that are not necessarily one flow on, but they're all important in order for us to grasp. I know this is a bit deep here today, and that's what Hebrews is. Hebrews requires us to understand certain aspects of the Old Testament. That's why we're taking longer is what we normally would. See, Abraham brought tithes to Christ in type by bringing tithes to Melchizedek. So Abraham was actually tithing to Jesus Christ. Because Melchizedek was a type of Jesus Christ. The tithe must always go up line to our high priest. It goes from the lesser to the greater. That's why the writer of Hebrews points out that even Levi, who himself received tithe, also paid tithe to Melchizedek, who was a type of Christ. Why? Because the priesthood of Levi is a lower-level priesthood than the priesthood of Melchizedek. So lower-level priesthoods always pay tithe to the higher-level priesthood. People say, huh, it's New Testament, we're all kings and priests. Yeah, but there is a higher-level priest than you and I, and his name is Jesus Christ. All right? His name is Jesus Christ. The tithe must always go upline, never downline or across. We cannot disperse our tithe in different directions. We always have to bring it into the house that we belong to, that we are a part of. Anything other than that is unscriptural, no matter what the circumstances are. All right? Hebrews chapter 7 and that's another thought here. It establishes the superiority of Christ and of his priesthood above all the others. The Bible speaks of various types of priesthoods in the Old Testament, more notably the Levitical priesthood as well as the Melchizedek priesthood. But Hebrews, specifically Hebrews chapter 7, which Bible scholars tell us it is the hub of the whole book of Hebrews. Everything converges on chapter 7. It points out that yes, angels are important in chapter 1, but Jesus is more important. It points out that yes, Levi was important, but hey, Jesus Christ is more important. So it establishes the superiority of Jesus Christ above all the other priests and above all the other priesthoods. The lesser person paid tithe to the greater person. See, in the Old Testament, we see some practices in amongst the Levitical priesthood that the Levites received tithes, but then 
of that tithe, they brought it to Aaron, the high priest, so that they had to tithe off of the tithe. Why? Because the priesthood, the, the tithe always goes up line. The lower priesthood pays tithes to the higher priesthood. Now, the Levitical, and I'm just repeating what I've already said, the Levitical priests were great, and the people brought tithes to them. Melchizedek was greater, and our father Abraham brought tithes to him. And number three, Jesus Christ, our high priest, is the greatest, and we bring our tithe to him. What will make some people think that you had to bring tithe to the lower level priesthood, but not the higher level priesthood beats me? It defies all logic. It defies all scripture. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 1, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest continuously. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tithe of the spoils. Now just bear with me for a few minutes. We're going to be finished very shortly. Consider how great this man was. Who? Melchizedek. Abraham was a great man. There's no question about it. Abraham was a well-to-do man. Abraham was picked out from a whole bunch of people that were alive at that time. He had a connection with God, and there was a covenant established between God and Abraham that is still alive today, I want you to know. You know, sometimes people take very, very... Uh, rudimentary approaches to things. They say everything from Matthew backwards is Old Testament and does not apply to us anymore. That is not true. The Abrahamic covenant is still alive today. And it, and, and, and it, it uh, concerns you and it concerns me. God made a covenant with Noah and that covenant is still alive today. All right. God says to Noah, never again will I flood the earth and I'm making a covenant between you and your descendants. Have you know that we've all come from Noah? He was the only guy that was left, him and his family. Between you and your descendants, between every living thing, and God says, I'll put a sign of my covenant into the sky called the rainbow that I will never again flood the earth. Each time we see that rainbow, we remind ourselves that that covenant is still alive today. So you can't take everything that is west of, uh, of the book of Matthew and wipe it out. And say so only everything that is east of, uh, of Matthew, you know, everything that is forward of Matthew applies to us today. That's ignorance. That's people not understanding. And that's why I'm pointing out that tithing was practiced way before the law of Moses came in, way before Levi was even born, and way before Aaron and all of these guys started to receive tithes from the people. Therefore, when the Aaronic and the Levitical priesthood went out, tithing didn't go out because it never came in with that. Tithing, my friend, is an eternal principle. And I wish I had more time. We can go right back to the Garden of Eden, where the Bible tells us that Adam, uh, should I say, that uh, Abel offered off the firstlings of his flock, and God accepted his offering. And the Bible tells us that Cain brought some vegetables. He just brought what, what he grabbed a few things that he could find. He, friends, the tithe is always the first and the best, it's not the leftover. God is offended with leftovers. And we can't tip God and expect a blessing to come on us when we walk out the door. You might say, well, I'm already blessed. My Bible tells me I'm already blessed. Let me show you something. Let me show you something. In, uh, in, uh, <clears throat> in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 6, it says, But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi collected a tithe from Abraham and Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. The one who had already received the promises of God. Abraham already had the promises. He still required the blessing. And we have the promises. We've got the book filled with promises. And there's people scratching their head thinking, how can I get a hold of the promises? 
You know, as they sometimes say, you know, we got the promises, but people are not wearing them yet. People are not enjoying them yet. They haven't manifested in their lives. And this is the way, one of the ways that we can get the promises to manifest, to materialize in our lives. Abraham, uh, rather Melchizedek, placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. And without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. See, evidently Abraham still needed a blessing even though he had the promises. Friend, we still need the blessing though we have the promises. And that blessing in terms of uh, increase comes as we bring our tithe, as we bring our offering, do so regularly, do so faithfully, because each time when we walk out that door, we need to go out with the blessing of God so we can do battle for another week, battle for another month, battle for another fortnight, or however your, your income deal works. Christians have the promises, but like Abraham, still need the blessing which comes from tithing faithfully so that there is a continual manifestation of the promises. All right? Friends, let me back up again, and I missed one line there before. Tithing is about recognizing the greatness of our high priest. Bible tells us that Abraham, he says, look how, in fact, uh, let me read it again. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4. Now consider how great this man was, this Melchizedek, that even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tithe of the spoils. Abraham was quite a character, really. He was quite big. He had 318 uh, personal soldiers, uh, people that, that uh, worked, but they were also trained to the war and battle. So he, he's just no quick upstart. I mean, he, he's a guy of substance. He's, he's a name. I mean, he's, he's quite a character. People were afraid of Abraham. But Abraham comes to Melchizedek, and he, he says, Here is one greater than I. He says, I'm bringing him my tithe, and I'm receiving a blessing from this man. The Bible tells us that the greater blesses the lesser. The lesser can bless himself. We can bless ourselves. We need to be blessed by God. We can repeat and affirm the blessing of God with our words, and so we should. But if we're not practicing that aspect of tithing, it does not have the same effect as it wants to have. Friend, let me say it again. God wants to elevate people into a new place, into a new realm of blessing, of manifest blessing that goes beyond what we've ever seen before. Read the even even the Bible scholars, the Bible commentators. Did many of them did not have this revelation that we're talking about today? Many of them are still preaching poverty and the tragedies that there's pastors and preachers go to. Some, and I've read major commentaries this week. Like I'm, I've just read like I've been everywhere, and some of it is absolutely fantastic because some other stuff I can't swallow because it goes contrary to what the Word says. We need the blessing of God and tithing is about recognizing the greatness of our high priest. See, Christians who refuse to bring their tithe to the Lord by their actions declare that they're greater than Christ, that their priesthood is bigger than the high priestly priesthood of Jesus Christ. They declare that they don't need his blessing. and They declare that they can bless themselves. But the truth is, you can't bless yourself. The lesser is always blessed by the greater. You are fooling yourself if you think you can get away without tithing and if you can go in the purposes of God where God wants you to go. How are we doing this morning? Is it, are we doing all right? It's been quite a journey, eh? I told you we're going somewhere. Praise God. We've run out of time. Pronouncing a blessing on a person which is, was what Melchizedek did to Abraham. Pronouncing a blessing on a people, which is what Aaron and the priest did to the people there. It is to place God's name, to place God's grace and God's favor on that person, empowering them to prosper. 
Have you ever read the promises and that how come it's not coming to pass in my life? Well, maybe this is one area to, 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 to address and to find out if you're really faithful in the area of tithes and offerings or haphazard. Or if you have been faithful, but you just, oh, people, people mean well, but oh, I just want to give money. I don't want anything back. It's unscriptural. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it, it, it sounds pious, but it's, it's, it's uninformed. It's unintelligent. It's, it's contrary to God's plan. God says, you bring the tithe, and I pronounce the blessing. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. I think I'm going to stop right here because I'm just so full of this stuff, I tell you. <laughs> I, just, uh, I just got so many more things. Praise God. What was that? I need to receive the tithes and offerings. That should have been done earlier. <laughs> All right, well, let's do the tithes and offerings now then. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Preparation for tithes and offerings needs to be made at home. Checks and envelopes need to be filled out at home. That stuff needs to be sorted out. So when we, when we, uh, when we pass the buckets around, as it were, we oh, somebody missed out. We can't have anybody miss out. Friend, tithing is a covenant responsibility, but it is also a covenant blessing. There's been people that tried to talk me out of tithing years ago, and I said, don't try. Just recently somebody tried again and said, leave me alone. I, I will not be robbed of that blessing. It's a responsibility but it is also a blessing. And it's a principle, it's not a law. Though it's, it's an eternal law, and you will find people, you know, the non-tithing fraternity will be amazed when they get to heaven, and suddenly it's tithing time, and say, we've never done that before. Well, you will end up learning it in heaven, I assure you. It is an eternal principle. Father, we want to once again thank you for, Lord, uh, giving us the ability to do battle this week. Lord, like Abraham went out in the slaughter of the kings. Lord, we, we have gone out. We have, we have, uh, Lord, we have uh, battled with enemies. We have, we have dealt with, with, with things. And Lord, we have worked and we have labored. And Lord, we have done business. We have done exchange, whatever we have done. And Lord, we bring the first and the best to you right now. We bring it, Lord, with an expectation that you will receive it, Father, because it is the first and it is the best. And Father, we also bring it with an expectation, Lord, that you will bless us in return. And Lord, right now, I pronounce the blessing of God and I place the name of God on every tither in this house in the mighty name of Jesus. And I say, be blessed. May the Lord's name uh, be upon you. May His grace and His face and His favor shine upon you all the days of your life. May you increase and may you prosper in Jesus' name. Amen. And all the people that agree with their prayer said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's go ahead with that tithe. Hallelujah. Of course, there's always the opportunity to give electronically in our electronic age today. Plastic, fantastic, they call it. Hallelujah. Whichever method or plan that you use, just remember the tithe must come into the house and it must come on a regular basis. And then we stand our, our ground and when we go out that door, say, I'm blessed to do battle this week. I will have victory after victory after victory. And if there is a defeat, it only looks like it because I have the victory in my life in Jesus' name. Anyway, praise God. God bless you. Have yourself a good afternoon.